Tradition has been upheld as this wonderful icon. And in reality, you know, what schools need to be uh, thinking about is the way that they're going to be perpetually changing. So that may be some new music, but this is still the Modern Learners Podcast. I am still Will Richardson, and really happy that you're deciding to tune in and listen to this, our 62nd podcast. I can't believe the kind of library of audio that we're, uh, we're building here. For those of you who are interested in challenging your thinking about schools, whether you're on the road, commuting to work, on the treadmill, wherever you may be listening, really appreciate you tuning in. So... You know, one of the things that I say a lot and, and we kind of talk about a lot, this idea that in many ways it's easier to build a school for the type of learning that you want to see than it is to change a school that's been around for a long, long time. And we're just becoming a lot more interested in schools that are building new things and the lessons that traditional schools can learn from those kind of new forms and new visions and new structures and systems and all that stuff. So this podcast this week with Tim Carr of the Avenue School is one of those where we explore something new, but we try to connect it to the old way of thinking about schools. And actually, Tim, who happens to be the director of online learning for Avenues, um, is also someone who's taken a traditional school and transformed it, in his words, really reimagined it. And uh, I found the, that part of the conversation, especially in this podcast, to be extremely interesting. And the process that he used, I think uh, if you listen to it, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be tweaked as well in terms of how you begin to think about your own change process and uh, what's possible. Because Tim took a very traditional, very successful school and with the help of a lot of friends and a pretty interesting process, turned it around into something very, very different. So um, this is a, uh, a really interesting conversation, I think, and one that I enjoyed immensely. I enjoy all of these a lot. But this one I, I enjoyed because it was this combination of new and old. And I think that you're going to um, I think you're going to enjoy it, too. And I would love to hear what feedback or comments you have, too, if, uh, if you're willing to put those in the comment thread afterwards. You know, speaking of change, just a reminder that Change School Cohort 8 starts in June, and we would love to have you with us on that. Um, we just think Change School is the place for these types of conversations, not only to have them, but to then do something about them and to see these, these discussions take root in practice. Um, we're going to be putting out here real soon a couple of stories about our change schoolers who are going back into their systems and and starting to do uh, really interesting things with um, their classrooms and with their cultures. But Change School is where it starts. You can get all the information on that at change.school. And don't forget, you know, we're we're always dreaming up new stuff. We've got courses, we've got labs, we've got white papers, we've got online webinars, we've got all sorts of stuff going on. Um, I hope you'll check out modernlearners.com. That's really the, uh, the focal point for all that work. Um, and if you ever have any questions or if you have any suggestions for stuff you'd like to hear on this podcast or for things you'd like to see us do and to help you understand more deeply um, how learning looks in the modern world, please feel free to email me anytime at will at modernlearners.com. But for now, here's about 45 minutes with Tim Carr, and I really, really hope you enjoy what he has to say as much as I did. So Tim, I just, just to get started here, just to give people who might be listening a little bit more of a context as to what Avenues is all about, um, I just want to read a, a little bit of an extended snip from your About page on your website. Um, that I think sets up exactly what, what Avenues is all about and hopefully tees up a conversation about, um, you know, what that means for kids who are going to your schools, but also uh, kind of a different vision of what schools look like. So you start by saying that um, schools are historically rooted in the villages, towns, and cities in which they're situated. Almost all are single city, single country institutions. 
They teach about matters beyond their boundaries, but they do not operate in any meaningful way outside of them. Over time, some have evolved to serve national communities. If local schools are the first step in the evolution of schooling and national schools are the second step, the decades ahead are likely to bring the third step, global schools. 30 years from now, there will, there will likely be a number of such organizations. Avenues plans to be the best of this new breed of educational institution, hence its subtitle, The World School. One school with many interconnected and interdependent campuses located in the world's leading cities, it will not be a collection of different schools all pursuing different educational strategies, but rather one highly integrated learning community connected and supported by a common vision, a shared curriculum, collective professional development of its faculty, and the wonders of modern technology. And, and I really am struck by that kind of description of what you're trying to do and what you're, you know, what the people at Avenues are trying to do. Um, it's pretty ambitious, and as far as I can tell, it's unique right now. Um, so I'd love it if you talked a little bit about what that type of vision translates to into everyday practice in classrooms for teachers and kids and and maybe highlight some of the ways in which the Avenues experience is different from what you'd find in a more typical independent school or a more typical public school. Sure. That, yeah, that big vision is indeed big. It's something that attracts uh, people the world over um, to Avenues, and I think it is a new space that we're trying to occupy. And um, the idea of being a part of an ecosystem that is much larger than the school that we're actually physically working in is, is unusual. Um, I think there are various sorts of consortia of schools out there um, that collaborate one to another, but there are very few uh, that I know of that are trying to be one school, many campuses in many parts of the world, and, and to really work hard at that. As you say, it's very ambitious. It is, it is something that um, is challenging to, to try to wrap your arms around, but I think it is, is something that fuels the organization with um, a kind of hope, a kind of purpose that is beyond the, the initial borders of the school. And uh, the mission really speaks to that. You know, it's, it's wanting to, to teach students to become worldwide leaders. Um, and to actually be equipped to understand and solve global scale, global scale problems. So a global scale problem requires people to think and act globally. And there, a lot of schools try that phrase on for size, but this is kind of built into the DNA of, of avenues. And the fact that we are all a part of something that is larger than the immediate environment that we're, we're sitting at a, at a given point in time. And so teachers know that they can collaborate with uh, teachers on another Avenues campus somewhere else in the world. Students likewise know that they can reach out to other students on another campus and collaborate about a project. Um, and they can seek those kind of perspectives that really add a tenor to the, to the organization that is, is really quite exciting. So is that built into the ways in which classrooms operate? I mean, is it, is it like a, not an everyday occurrence, but it's a regular occurrence that kids are maybe doing Zoom sessions or in some way communicating online with kids in New York, with kids in Sao Paulo, or that they're using collaborative spaces on a regular basis to do, um, you know, project-based work together, or what, is, what does that look like specifically for them? Yeah, I wouldn't say that that has become uh, a part of the day-to-dayness of the school, but it is, it's an aspiration and it's just because, you know, the Sao Paulo campus, the second campus just came online in, in August. Um, the, the whole organization is getting used to having a sister school in another place and another continent and speaking another first language and that sort of thing. And so it, that awareness is there. There have been, you know, projects where um, groups of students from one campus have come and done joint activities, um, service learning, or um, projects together on one of the other campuses. That has spurred some collaboration across the campuses too. Um, there's gonna be another wave of that this May. Um, and uh, we expect that to, to grow over time, you know, with the various avenues campuses that come online. 
Um, but for now, it's, it's, you know, the ability for teachers to collaborate across campuses, that's happening a fair bit. And we have people that are um, working on sort of avenues, global matters, and starting up programs on multiple campuses at the same time. And that's, that's really, that's a unique challenge and a unique opportunity as well to try to instill a bit of new DNA into the system. I mean, it, it is new, right? And I, I think that's that's what makes it so interesting. But yet, uh, obviously, like you said, challenging as well. I mean, if you if you kind of play it out, I mean, my brain's you're talking, my brain's kind of going. Well, do they have like? Can they do drama clubs together in New York and Sao Paulo? Can they do newspapers together? Can they, you know, can they work on activities, robotics, all those sorts of things? I mean, do you think that's part of the vision moving forward as you as you bring more and more of these campuses online? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, part of the part of the ethos of Avenues, too, is that um, it's a place where you can try on new ideas anytime. I mean, that's that's very much built into the design of the place. It's kind of perpetual beta, so to speak. You know, we have this concept called a, a tiger team. So any group of teachers uh, can come forward with an idea um, and put it on the table and say, we'd like to take some some time to study this. And we'd like to build a proposal that we would submit to leadership avenues and, and hopefully impact uh, the ecosystem with a new program that we would develop through this team. And to have that as you know a part of the ethos of the place is really quite um, stimulating, I think, throughout the system. I think students internalize that, uh, teachers do, leadership does. And so um, everyone's kind of thinking about how can we do this a little bit better so that we can cause learning to happen in the most profound and transformational way. So talk a little bit about that, right? Because one of our favorite questions in our work is asking people, so what do you mean when you say that, right? What do you mean <laughs> when you say learning? And if you want to add those adjectives to it, right, that puts more pressure on you now, right? Profound <laughs> transformative learning. So, yeah. so what does that mean for you guys um, in terms of, again, how that manifests itself in classroom practice with kids and teachers? Because obviously if teachers are part of, an R&D culture where they're also constantly kind of looking for ways to innovate and to do new things that might create more conditions for that type of learning to happen. That means obviously they're learners as well. So, um, so what does that mean, transformative learning or, or that kind of powerful, profound learning? We've talked a lot about what that means. And, you know, honestly, that's, that's a, a daily conversation in the school um, for, for many. It's sort of, okay, trying to figure out what that challenge actually means when you're designing a lesson or an assessment or a unit of study. Um, we have this really interesting um, element called the Avenues World Elements, um, which is- Which I want design. to talk about in a, don't talk too much about it now, because okay. I really, really want to dive into that in a minute, but go ahead. Okay, but that helps us define to define the sort of learning that we mean when we're talking about transformational world-focused learning. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's embedded in the curriculum and it's, it's embodied by those different elements and learning opportunities. So um, we do, for example, a lot of projects and interdisciplinary work and inquiry-based lesson design and that sort of thing. But those are three of the 11 um, learning modes that we've identified in the Avenues World Element charts. So um, a lot of schools, you know, when they're trying to think about transforming, transforming themselves as an organization and thus the learning within them, uh, they have to think about that, that type of learning that they're trying to cause. And here we're trying to think of one that is very much future facing. So if we want um, students to be well prepared for the future. What do we mean by that? Well, we get back to our mission again with that one to develop future worldwide leaders uniquely equipped to understand and solve global scale problems. So it's learning with that big public purpose in mind. It's, it's not just for me, me the learner. It's for me to figure things out with my colleagues so that we collectively can impact others in the societies that surround us. So there's sort of a big public purpose uh, that goes together with this. And I think it really drives the the planning on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it's interesting because I know uh, I was looking through some of the work you did when you were in uh, the International School of Jakarta, I think it was, right? And um, in your values document or in that kind of uh, values graphic that you have, 
one of the things you really emphasized was being uh, use of the word for the world, right? right. Not not yeah. just for ourselves, but doing the best we can for the world. So, um, do you think that that's something that, given all of the kind of craziness that's going on right now around the world, I mean, is that something that people are kind of sitting up and going, you know what, we really do have to expand the way that we think about education and not make it so local and not make it so national, but but go beyond um, uh, a lot of those kind of imaginary borders? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, again, if we're to prepare our students well for this unknown future, then we have to think about things globally, you know, because we are such an interconnected world at this point. I mean, literally, the the air that we breathe gets shared amongst all of humanity. And so we, we have to think about things in, in that context. And I think the schools are one of the most powerful institutions that we have. And if they are, you know, more backwards facing or even just present facing um, than future facing, then they're really doing a disservice to, to children in this day and age. And so they, they have the power, I think, to prepare students really well for that unknown future. But you have to be um, kind of visionary in order to pull that off. And if you say, look, we are committed to a type of learning that is beyond ourselves, it's beyond our immediate communities, that's really about helping the world to be a better place and trying to figure out what that lofty statement actually means on a day-to-day -day basis, how that translates into lessons and assessments and designs of you know the precious moments that we have together with students each day, then that's, that's a transformative design for schools. And gratefully, I'm seeing some signs of the growth of that kind of idea. But, you know, the fact that that was a big focus of my last school and is now a focus of avenues meant that, you know, we had a lot of common ground to begin with. And this has been a good match for me. So, uh, I mean, aside from that kind of global, real-world, problem-solving type of approach, um, I'm, I'm assuming that's at the core of what profound and transformative learning looks like for you. Um, how else does the learning that kids are doing in your classrooms differ maybe from a more conventional, more traditional type of, uh, of environment? I mean, are there, are there other things you can point to um, or other maybe some examples of what kids have done that you can you can say you know this is really what we aspire to um and this is really different from maybe what our experience was when we went to school i remember you know i saw your your ted talk where you, you kind of <laughs> mentioned just like me that you know i wasn't that impressed with my with my education i wasn't that engaged or inspired by it so um what are some of those other differences maybe that that you could point to yeah, I think, you know, there's a number of elements that that exist in our school, you know, from our earliest learners, um, where we are really delving into, you know, play-based, inquiry-based education um, that is allowing students to be, you know, the sort of explorers and of their own learning and and have a high degree of autonomy from the first moments they, they step foot um, on our campus and into our ecosystem. Um, Onwards, and so that to me is is the beginning of a strand that should should continue all the way through grade twelve, where um, students are really encouraged to to pursue their curiosity, uh, to delve deeply into you know the problems that fascinate them, or the the questions that they're um, they're forming about the world that surrounds them. So. I mean, I, I know that there's a number of schools that are trying to figure that out, but I think we're trying to do it very intentionally throughout the continuum of education at Avenues. So being world-focused in elementary school means um, an effort to become biliterate. So there's, there's a real emphasis on language immersion and, and you know, getting really good at, at uh, you know, and developing solid literacy in a second language. So being able to do that, um, in elementary school then leads to you know applying those sorts of learnings and that world focus to increasingly complex projects and to going out into society and trying to apply that learning uh, in high school they can go even deeper still and um, you know pitch their project proposals that would impact uh, uh, the society around them to an expert panel and uh, 
win an award that would allow them to get incubator support while at school so that they can develop their ideas into enterprises. Um, they can opt into apply for something called a mastery academy, which is going to a place in the world that is known for its expertise in a certain domain and studying that thing intensively, intensively in an interdisciplinary project-based way um, and leveraging the, the expertise of that, that local expertise. So, or the, the local knowledge and, um, and offering for that idea. So for example, we've sent some, some students to Shenzhen, China, and we had them um, in a four-week period. There were you know, nine students from New York and seven from Shenzhen. They, they lived together for three and a half weeks and they built a smartphone together from scratch. And that, that example, you know, it's something that I think is showing the sort of learning that can be um, when, you know, none of us knew that that was actually going to work before we did it. You know, we, we were hopeful, but it completely exceeded our expectations and the degree to which students delved into that project, figured things out across cultures and language um, barriers and cracked the technology necessary and sourced the goods and did the design and built the thing and called home on it, you know, at the end. So um, that sort of thing is serving as an icon for us to sort of show the way of what will be, um, what we'll see more of in the Avenues ecosystem in the future. So, you know, we see a lot of, uh, and we talk a lot about student agency, learner agency, and, and what we see in most schools that we're working with is that early on that kids have a lot of choice and a lot of freedom or more freedom and choice than they do when they get older. Um, and so I think a lot of people might listen to a story like that and be amazed by it and be inspired by it, but um, might also think, uh, I just don't know how I would ever do that. You know, I mean, I can't put kids on a plane. I mean, it, but, it, you know, it's, it's kind of saying the obvious, but that kind of learning can happen at a small scale in a local space, um, given the agency that you have to choose the types of topics that you want to pursue and the, and the, the learning that you want to do, the things that you want to create. So um, I'm just wondering the extent to which agency is part of the culture. It sounds again like teachers have agency to, you know, again, to introduce ideas and, and follow things that are interesting to them. Um, how big a part is that, that freedom uh, in terms of that, uh, that transformative learning that you're looking for? I, th I think it's a big component. Um, we also try to to frame um, the, the the curriculum and the the projects um, in a pretty distinctive way, so that we have particular learning outcomes in mind. It's not just a complete sort of free for all. There there are schools that are designed that way, where you know students can just follow any passion down the hallway, and that's that's the curriculum they create. So I think agency is absolutely it's a huge value I think uh, throughout but um, and and it's something that we want to see develop even further and yet there's a lot of teacher design in that formula too so adults are helping students to define you know project parameters and and provide some some limitations on things so that they can really be deeply innovative with certain learning goals in mind and so it's sort of defining that sandbox, so to speak, for, for the learning for children in, in, in developmentally uh, appropriate way at each grade level, you know, for each student, so that they, they are working to the best of their ability to, to solve those problems within those project parameters. So I, I think that they feel that there's a lot of agency, particularly, you know, if they've transferred from another place, that's, that's a frequent comment that I've heard from students at Avenues is, yeah, this is way different, um, the amount of say that I have in, in my own learning. And yet, you know, the, the teachers are playing a very big role there and helping to design as well. So it's, it's really kind of a collaborative effort between student and teacher. Well, let's dive into the elements because this was the one thing when I saw it, it just kind of made my brain melt a little bit. And when I saw you out in San Francisco, we had a quick conversation as to, you know, the process for doing that and how, how you came up, how you just came to this. But just... I'm going to, obviously, I'll put a link and also I'm probably going to take a screen snap of the, uh, the, the elements, the chart of elements, um, and put it on the blog post too. But 
Um, one of the things that, again, we talk a lot about with the schools we're working with is this idea of common language of really understanding what you mean when you say certain things, right? And so what I think is kind of brilliant about this, this kind of periodic chart of outcomes that you guys have created uh, is the depth to which you are trying to be clear about what each one of these things means. So, you know, I'm looking at it now, for instance, uh, you talk about empathy and creativity and mental agility, but also writing and discussion, cultures and economics, agriculture, evolution, probability, data analysis. It's kind of all over the map. But the way that you've created it, I think, is just brilliant, right? So you've got 65 of these different outcomes that you're looking for. And I'm assuming when you just talked about how teachers co-design or are really helping kids, that these are the outcomes that they're helping kids move toward, that they have to be able to kind of say, yeah, well, that applies to this, you know, the civilization's outcome or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also broken them down. <laughs> this gets really complex, but you've also broken them down into a number of different kinds of areas. So you have thinking outcomes, character outcomes, well-being outcomes, purpose outcomes, humanities, there are humanity outcomes, there are a few more. And then you mentioned earlier these learning experiences, right? And I'm, I'm looking at this and, and these are probably the more, the, the practices that you employ to get to these outcomes. Things like high intensity practice, immersion, inquiry, mastery, play, um, study abroad, all those types of things. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'll say it again. I just think it's brilliant. And, and it's one of the very few um, examples I've seen of schools that have taken the time to, to be very deliberate and intentional about articulating you know, what they want and what they mean by all of that. You even have, um, I love how below each element is the number you know, E through 12, um, with, with, you know, this, these are the grades in which we should be doing this. So solar system is 9, 10, 11, and 12, but things like mental health is, is like across the board, right? So anyway, um, you know, without going, without trying to articulate it too much, because people are just going to have to see it in order to understand it. What I'm really interested in is what was the genesis of this? I mean, how did this idea kind of start? I'm, I'm guessing it was probably in your R&D group. Um, but, and then what was the process for getting this together, because I would assume there had to be some kind of um, group or community-wide um, agreement as to these are the things that we want, and um, these are some of the examples of how we get to those things. So, if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about how did this thing happen? How did it? How did it come yeah. to the form that it's in now? Yeah, I would need to call on some other members of our R and D team to give you know a very detailed history of how it came to be, but. Uh, as you imply, it was it was an evolution, and it is still very much evolving. We're sort of in version two right now, with three on the horizon already, and we know that there's going to be many, many more iterations thereafter. So this is kind of an example of the perpetual beta that I was talking about. So um, it will be a work in progress, and in order for it to be both a an intended and an enacted curriculum, which is the what it's supposed to be. Um, then it needs to be alive and it needs to be amended over time. So yes, there have been many eyes um, on this and many people participating in its genesis and then also in its revision. And there was a a school-wide group um, that was selected to go through the last round of rewrites. And there's another group that's already assembled for the, the round following. So, and that's in process at the moment. So um, yeah, this is a work in progress. It's going to be um, alive and well and applied <laughs> throughout the school and people are going to be making meaning of it um, and trying it on for size at every level of the school. Um, it is, you know, sort of entering more into the common parlance of the school. It was rolled out not that long ago. And, and so, you know, people are trying to understand, you know, how it means, how to use it, um, how to drop assessments with it um, and to be accountable for its its uh, delivery in the school, but it's you know therein lies you know part of our big challenge as an ecosystem. This is part of what's going to bind our campuses together um, across you know the many countries and cities that we will occupy. Um, this is you know some of the common denominators that will bind us. So. Um, 
the learning experiences as you apply are a big deal. That's there's 11 of them. Um, and it's, and it's inaccurate to say that we are just a project based um, school because we're not, that's, that's one of the 11, you know, we're not just an inquiry based school an immersion based school or mastery based school. We are all those things, you know, those are all elements of the elements, so to speak. Um, and a part of the mix at avenues. What I, what I think too is interesting though. I mean, um, just looking again at those outcomes, those 65 outcomes, I think I said 64 before, but 65 of them, I mean, they're not courses either, right? Confidence yeah. is not a course, but it's an outcome, you know, and, and things like waves, which I'm, I'm just clicking on now because I'm not sure really what that is. Right. But you know, the way that you define that as the periodic transfer of energy in or across a medium, you know, that we have to understand the mechanical and electromagnetic parts of that. Um, I just, I love the way you've, you've done this. And, and I hope that if, if anybody listens to this and goes and dives into it, that you click on some of these, you get some great quotes from people as to why these particular outcomes are important. Um, like I said, you're very clear on what each of one of, each one of them is. You offer up some sample activities. Um, is, is it, again, you, you just rolled it out. Is it, again, the vision down the road where, um, I mean, well, let me ask it this way. Do these, like, you have the periodic chart of elements hanging in every science classroom in America just about. I mean, is this something that is going to be that concrete in terms of, you know, kind of hanging on the wall and, and saying these are the things that we're really focused on? Or is it uh, more of a mind map for teachers to just, uh, you know, when they're thinking about the activities they create, when they're thinking about the pedagogies that they use, um, when they're helping kids to develop those projects that they're developing, that that's going to be kind of their guide um, to doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, I think it is going to be a guide and, and a reference point. Um, and we're figuring out how to incorporate um, students into that formula too, because we want them to be conversant with, you know, the curriculum that we're targeting and, and ask them to think about that. If, if for example, they're helping to, have input or co-create um, a learning activity or project or what have you, then it's going to be incumbent on them to make a case for it by invoking the elements and saying, you know, this is what I intend to, to learn as a result of this proposed course of study, you know, or this proposed project, so to speak. And so that's what agency is going to look like at Avenues too, is that, you know, students are fluent enough um, in these, um, or they can become so by doing their research and saying, I want to make a case for learning these things with this project um, going forward. And then you can hold me accountable, you know, for these elements of those, of those elements, so to speak. And, right. and, um, and thus, you know, starts a, a great conversation, you know, that is, is grounded in exactly the sort of thing that we would like students and teachers to be dialoguing about. So the one thing that, that is not on those elements, though, is that accountability piece, is that assessment piece, right? So I'm just wondering, what does that look like? Um, are, there, are there traditional assessments that are in play, you know, for kids? Um, are they more uh, portfolio-based, exhibition-based, combination of all? I mean, what, is, what does assessment look like in your schools? Yeah, I think in... As with any healthy school, that's going to be evolving too. But it is, you know, that's closely tied to the learning experiences as to what's a what's an appropriate assessment for each of those. You know, so if that was the the experience that you conjured, you know, what's a good rubric um, for the assessment of that pro project? Or if it's service learning, then you know, what are what are the concrete outcomes that you're trying to accomplish and you know here's this reflective piece that you'll know going into it and then you can use to to both self-reflect and then receive the uh, feedback from your your teacher or supervisor as well um, so i think it's kind of tailored to the learning activity and it's something that you know we're looking at throughout the school too is you know what what are some what can we learn from researching about um, you know, good practices around the world, uh, and then what can we also design ourselves that would really um, help us to to get really at the nub of that learning that that we both intend and would like to know that we are helping to cause. 
Well, it's, it's just a, it's a really fascinating construct and uh, um, one that, uh, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time just kind of digging through and thinking about really hard in terms of um, communicating, not that format, but those ideas to, uh, you know, the schools that we're working with as well to really think hard about, you know, again, what are those things? What do they look like? How do we define them? What is the common language that we use around them? How do kids enter into those in ways that are meaningful and relevant and, and interesting to them? Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to before you came to Avenues and when you were in Jakarta, because um, I know that when I think when you got there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when you got there, you, you undertook a, a pretty big reimagination process. Um, I don't know if you initiated that or if they had had conversations around that at the time that they just wanted to dive into. Um, but in, in your TED Talk, you mentioned a couple things that I, I I hope you can spend just a couple minutes talking about in terms of the process of how you did that reimagination. You, you, you had what you called a dream summit to mm -hmm. begin with. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what that was and, and how, what that looked like. And then also you mentioned destiny plans, which um, I thought were, um, were that the term is kind of interesting. And um, if you could just maybe just give a little bit of background or a little bit of form to what exactly that is in terms of looking at a change process that other schools might think about going through and how um, that worked out in Jakarta. Yeah, um, when I arrived at uh, at the Jakarta Intercultural School. It was actually named the Jakarta International School at the time, and then we needed to change our name, but that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> we uh, we uh, were given the charge, and we, by we, I mean um, our leadership team at that time. So I, I came into the school and they said, you know, please lead us in designing the next phase of, of Jakarta International School's history. Um, so, or, or future, so to speak. And, that, and, and let me just say that it was a, a very successful school by all accounts at that moment. There wasn't any real need to go down that path. No, um, it's, you know, by all accounts, it was really one of the leading schools in the international school community. Um, you know, 2,500 students and, you know, 70 nationalities represented and, you know, exemplary results and externally, um, uh, exams, you know, the IB and AP and um, ISAs and, you know, various external measures. So by a lot of counts, it was, it was a school that, you know, was not only good, but maybe even iconic in, in the international school domain. So to, to say that they really wanted to put everything on the table at the outset and, and reimagine, you know, sort of the next phase of the school's life, uh, was quite remarkable, and I felt you know privileged to to have that opportunity. Um, and so we took it very seriously. We said, you know, look, this this is an opportunity to go back um, and ascertain what the what the real strengths of the school have been throughout its history and up until now. Uh, we used a process called appreciative inquiry, which emphasizes just that, where you start with sort of the what's good about the organization or school that you're you're working with, and then um, doing some serious dreaming from there and just saying, okay, that said, where could we go? What could this school be? What could we imagine for the future if we just sort of took all the shackles off and just thought about what we, we could and should be? What do we see? And, and that's what we facilitated. It was, um, it was a weekend with an external facilitator who came in and helped us with it, but we had 150 community members who who came together for that weekend. And uh, there was some magic that was created as a result of that. Um, it, was, it was a community ready for it, I think. Um, it was both you know, current members of the community, so faculty, staff, students, um, parents, board members, et cetera, but also alumni versions of all of those. And so you had both the past and the present represented in, in the room. And uh, we were, used a good bit of the campus for the design. Um, we had a lot of fun in doing it and uh, sort of acted out and, um, and showed in a lot of creative ways what you know, we saw as the potential image of the school, captured those words, um, and then did some serious synthesizing after that and came up with a rewritten mission statement, a vision statement, a set of core values, 
and uh, some plans that we called our destiny plans uh, for the future. And the big tenets um, under the vision we called dreams, um, stemming from the dream summit. So it, you know, it's a process that I've replicated in, in various schools, either through consulting work or um, in the schools in which I've been working directly. And it's, it's very powerful. It, it helps a lot for schools to have that license to really think think big about its its own future and um, and to take the time to do that. And then to also have the courage to put those words on paper and say, okay, you know what? That's really ambitious. And we now need to figure out how to do that, <laughs> how to make this come to life. And uh, so that's where the plans came in. And it was a, a two-year plan, not a five-year plan. We said, you know, anything after two years is really not relevant. So let's refresh it frequently and make sure that it continues to, to speak to where we are and where we want to go. And it was pretty remarkable. Um, I think the other remarkable piece of it too, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are remarkable about that, but to me is the awareness of just kind of saying we're great, but we need to change. And in, in, you know, almost 15 years of doing this now, I bet you I've heard three schools do that, that who have said, you know, we're hitting all of our marks We're we're everybody's happy. No one's complaining about what we're doing. Um, but you know what? We still have to change. We still have to really rethink it. So I just wonder, you know, we don't have a, a lot more time, obviously, but just so how much did it change? I mean, how different was Jakarta after um, as opposed to what it was before, this very successful thing that was happening before that. Um, I mean, how much did it really change after that process? Well, it's, it's interesting when you're in international schools and your expected tenure is not all that long. Um, you get feedback when you're coming in and during, of course, but then you get a lot when you're walking out the door too. And I, I had a lot of people reflecting about you know, that period of seven years and what happened during that, that period of time. And they said the place transformed. I and mean, that's the, was the most commonly heard word, I think. Um, and they're talking about the nature of learning, the, the type of activity and, and student behavior that was being seen on a day-to-day -day basis, the type of teaching that was happening. And was it, was it fairly was, traditional? Was it fairly traditional? I don't even think that the school would have described itself that way. And I think in the spectrum of schools, it wasn't really, but I think it became a lot more progressive to use sort of a right. happy term thereafter. Right. And it, you know, one of the, the first dream was contemporary learning. We're going to pursue, figure out what that means and pursue it. And contemporary is always a moving target. So we were trying to figure out, you know, what the, the best, most updated future-facing learning could and should be. And so that was an ongoing conversation. And I think that helped to, to form a type of spirit that I'm seeing at Avenues too, which is, you know, let's, let's keep figuring it out and don't think for a moment that we've, we've done it. You know, it's, it's always something um, in which, you know, we've got, we're in hot pursuit, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but um, do you think schools want to be reimagined, <laughs> if you know what I mean by that? Usually, usually not. You know, I've, I, schools are among the most um, change-resistant institutions that I've come across in my life. Um, I happen to have spent most of my professional career in those, um, but, you know, it's, it's not easy, you know, and for good reason. Uh, a lot of times, you know, there's a guy named Rob Evans who has written a good article about, you know, why schools don't change, you know, like businesses or other entities in the world. And, you know, some of it is to, you know, protect people and, and do a good job, you know, right. with safety factors and not do things too risky, you know, and that sort of thing. But in, in a way um, that has been taken to such an extreme that, you know, tradition has been upheld as this wonderful icon. And in reality, you know, what schools need to be, uh, thinking about is the way that they're going to be perpetually changing, you know, and, and preparing students for the future means, you know, changing, becoming the living organism that we have to be. And that's not a stagnant one. So it, it's got to be thinking about how it is we're going to be changing all the time.
Yeah, and it, that is really difficult for a lot of people to wrap their brains around. You, you use the term perpetual beta. We've used that term um, many times in the past as well. So I'm wondering, just as a last question, so just looking at education and schools, just meta, right, writ large, um, what advice do you have for people who are listening to this and kind of go, man, I just wish I could do something. I wish I could start somewhere down this path where the, the conversations or the changes that we're employing um, become more relevant, become more sticky, um, sustainable, all that type of stuff. But I'm just not sure, you know, where to start with that. I mean, do you have any advice as to a couple starting points where people can begin to engage in a process where over time, and we all know that this takes a lot of time, but where over time you can get to a place that really is reimagined? Yeah, I think if, if schools do sort of ask that question of themselves, are we really uh, alive as an organic entity, you know? And, and how is it that we're making sure that we are continuing to change like healthy organisms do? Um, then that, that's a good starter question. Another is, are we prepare, preparing our students well for the future? Um, and, and really kind of dig into that. What, what do we think our students are going to need? down the road, five years, 10 years, when our kindergartners enter our schools and they exit 12 years later, what will they need and what sorts of skills? And is what we're doing um, appropriate for the building of those skills over time? And if we can't answer that at every grade level, um, you know, in a, in a resounding affirmative, then we need to go to the drawing board and try to figure it out. Um, so posing those questions first to ourselves as individual educators, then to teams and to leadership of schools, to the governing bodies, et cetera, and say, you know, can we please have the opportunity to ask these questions collectively of ourselves and see what we come up with, go through that dreaming process, go through that um, big idea generation process and see what happens. And a lot of times it, you know, can be a really exciting journey and it kind of revitalizes a school. Um, and helps them to answer that question hand on heart that, yes, we are doing the right thing by children. And I would argue that that's a, a really great undertaking, even in places where they feel totally constrained to stick to what they've been doing or just to get better. You know, I mean, yeah. as you know, uh, a lot of people, again, look at, at that whole concept of change and kind of go, yeah, sounds great. But, you know, we've got these state requirements, we've got tests, we've got parents, we've got all these things. And uh, it, it, that doesn't prevent you from having the conversation. You know, it doesn't prevent you from asking the questions. And I think a lot of people, when they engage in those conversations and ask those questions, at the end of it, they do find ways where they can make change happen in classrooms. It may not be reimagination. It may not be what you were able to do in Jakarta, but certainly it can change even a few moments of what school looks like and, the, and then the experience that teachers and kids have in schools. Um, and that's that's worthwhile work, you know. I mean, I think that that really is important stuff. And I, I just want to thank you too for using that word healthy a couple times. It's not that's something that's made me think, you know, in terms of a healthy organization, a healthy school organization is one that's constantly asking those questions and constantly engaged in those conversations. Um, it's not one that is just sitting back and feeling self satisfied with the work that they've been doing, even though the world around them is changing really quickly. So. Um, that's one takeaway for me from this. Tell me a little bit about what Avenues Online is looking like and how that kind of fits into the local schools, the physical space schools that you have as well. Yeah, Avenues Online, I think, is, is um, a really interesting um, way to reconsider going to school or, you know, a different way that you can think about going to school, which is um, online, you know, I think actually has a lot of... Um, baggage you know with it that a lot of people think about online learning as you know something that is drudgery and and is using sort of outdated technologies and um, is not all that interesting it's just sort of ticking a box and what we've designed um, with avenues online is a way to um, incorporate project-based learning interdisciplinary learning and really engaging uh, literature um, in something called um, the the Great Works program that incorporates um, great literature from STEAM and uh, the humanities or what we call world, pairs those two texts students read 
they reflect on the reading, they interact about it, and then they, they do a project to show what they've learned in that process. That breaks the mold of a lot of online learning um, platforms out there and is, I think, an example of the sort of pedagogy that is indicative of, of what makes avenues avenues. Um, and is really, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for the globally mobile to, um, to have the flexibility to be somewhere else in the world and still have the quality avenues education no matter where you are. I like that term globally mobile, right? Um, and, and too many times too, I think online environments are trying to replicate um, physical space environments um, when you have all these opportunities to create community and networks and, and to do interesting things together. So it, over the next few years, I mean, are you expecting, well, to what extent do you expect that to grow? Um, how, many, how many kids could you, could you do in that, or could you take in that program? There's, there's really no upper limit um, for us. We're, we're willing to grow this campus of avenues as large as it ever gets. Um, and so that's, that's an exciting prospect unto itself. Um, so literally, we would like it to, to be available anywhere in the world and for students for whom this would be a great fit. So if you're a student athlete or a thespian, or you're moving from place to place with your family, or you're looking for an alternative way to go to school um, that is more flexible with time and space, then this is a great thing to consider. Um, so this is, it's, it's been a lot of fun to, to think about this and how it relates to the Avenues World Elements and how it relates to uh, the connective tissue in the Avenues ecosystem as well. Um, but it's, it's a purpose-built program for this space um, for students um, who happen to be in a circumstance um, that would benefit from this. So, you know, we have the student in the in the Disney troupe or that, you know, we have a tennis player who's practicing for four hours a day. And, um, you know, we have somebody deeply into music and performance. And so um, this can accommodate those other schedules and you can sort of go to school when you, uh, when it's best in your day to go to school. And uh, then you can have this profound engaging experience with this purpose-built curriculum um, as well that is designed for online. It's, it's the avenues manifestation online. So. Well, you guys are breaking ground in lots of different directions. So I wish you a lot of luck with that. Um, and again, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Fascinating conversation. Always love to hear uh, new stories uh, about education and the ways in which people are pushing that envelope. So really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Will.